Welcome to the Family Alpha Podcast, a place where men, families, and the truth have a voice. The information shared on this podcast is meant to be applied. Now, here is your host, Zach Small, founder of thefamilyalpha.com and co-founder of thefraternityofexcellence.com. Let's get to work. Welcome back to another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Small, and today I am joined by the Mr. Shadid. Shadid, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's an honor, privilege, and a pleasure to share these airwaves with you, Zach. And let's let's get into the topic for the listeners. Exactly. We were talking before we hit the record button and started going with this. Some golden nuggets started to build. You know, some great discussions, some great topics to talk about. You know, and in this podcast, I really want to dive into the financial side of the house, both inside families, both inside our country. You know, we're in uh, some tumultuous times. There's some heavy seas and I might be a little biased, but with you being a fellow Navy veteran, you know, it's not just, you know, the the calm waters that you need to prepare for, but you got to make sure your ship can withstand those big waves. So before we dive into uh, the taboo around finance, you know, talking to your kids about finance and squaring yourself away with your finances. Can you give the listeners a little background about yourself and sort of how we got to the point of you're the man to talk to about financial matters and business? Hmm. So uh, we're going to give the reader's digest of a lifetime journey here. So <laughs> there's a few values that my life's journey has um, yeah, unfolded. And the first is family is the first business. So when you, you look into my story and you look at my success, it definitely has a, a point of origin in that I was raised in a family that had the uh, do for self mentality. So picture this, you're, you're in a, a community and there's different things going on, but my family was an insulated unit. Everyone from grandma on down had the do for self mentality. What does this mean? It means no matter if you, uh, are a housekeeper or you are a caterer you you go to the job and then you take those skills and you come back to the family and you build up the family unit that is the mantra that i was raised with and if you talk to uncles cousins so on and so forth that are around my age group we all echo the same sentiment so my first business partners were family. I've worked in my mom's businesses. She's worked in mine. I've written books with family members. So this is how I was raised and very strong family values. Meaning if I go to Home Depot and I pick up somebody to do some day laboring. And meanwhile, my cousin is someone who can build a house with his bare hands. And I go outside of the family. Thanksgiving is going to be a Royal Rumble when we get to the table. It's just how we were raised. So we haven't done that this year, correct? Because Thanksgiving is coming up. Well, uh, definitely not because uh, Thanksgiving is around the corner and I don't want any trouble. So uh, definitely (laughs) uh, kept it within the family for uh, the projects that are going on. So when we talk about uh, going into the the financial literacy side of things, it all started with um, community service that started when I was in the Navy. So I spent a lot of time where we would dress up in the uniform, dress blues, and uh, go to different schools. I was uh, stationed in Japan. And so we would start by reading to the kids. So that was my exposure of giving back, so on and so forth, community. And once I I transitioned back to the U.S., 
I started to work in, uh, let's say, inner city schools. And what I started to notice is that the problems in the household uh, started to extend to classroom learning environments and the underfunded school districts uh, started to be an issue as well. So when we start to look at the uh, issues when it comes to financial literacy, the reality is that if a parent lacks that understanding and that education, then it passes on to the kids. It's, the fact is that if a child is raised in, uh, let's say, uh, a child in a poor environment uh, versus a, a child in a, a rich, rich or affluent uh, household, the child in a rich environment knows up to 3,000 more financial terms or has heard them by the time they're three years old. Your financial identity is uh, pretty much mapped out. Your financial skeleton or mantra or mindset is formed by the time you're nine years old. And so uh, in working in the school system and mentoring so on and so forth as an entrepreneur, I noticed that many of those habits in terms of, let's say, how kids share and, and how kids work together started to map back to parents. And so I saw that the disconnect there. And one of the other major monsters of my life is to bloom where you're planted. So most of my work is providing entrepreneurial solutions to social and systemic issues. So we're not going to wait for the, the grant or the, the big tugboat with all the funding and the help do for self is the mentality. So I gather up my friends, my partners and other influencers, and we roll up our sleeves to get to work in the community. So that's the, the framework of this discussion. Now, something's going on in our country. And I think what you just brought up about the, the 3000 terms of financial understanding that our vocabulary, you know, and the difference between affluent families and those that are struggling with what's happening with Corona, with the layoffs that are occurring with, you know, the lockdowns that are going on. I'm seeing a large gap between the haves and the have nots. And I see that widening to the degree that is there even going to be a middle class coming out of this? I, I'm thinking there's going to be the upper, the lower, and there's nobody really left in between except those that are on the cusp of falling either way. They're one decision, one poor decision from the have nots or an excellent decision to joining the haves. And I, I wanted to bring it back, you know, with uh, the terms used in the home. Do you think families or from your you know, understanding of what you've seen, families that don't have money or they struggle with money, they treat it like the, the elephant in the room. If you don't talk about it, it's not the problem. Whereas families that have money, they're more comfortable speaking about it, not only because they have it, but because that's just a part of how they got to where they are is by speaking openly about money and, and using their cash instead of fearing it or being used by it. Excellent, excellent question. In households that are driven by, uh, let's say, um, struggle, money is an emotional anchor within the household. So a child raised in that environment has seen their, their mother, for example, cry over a table of bills or seen their father walk out of the house over an argument over money. When you, you take a step back and realize that the number one cause of divorce for families in the United States is personal finance in the household, and you add in stress, struggle, drugs, alcohol that tends to surround the stress that comes with being 
uh, let's say, uh, lower income or struggling, then it makes finances even worse. Whereas families who are uh, affluent or, let's say, well-to-do, they tend to use money as a, a bridge. They use it as leverage. They use it as insurance, and it insulates them from the changes of the world. So it's the difference between being uh, in the middle of the uh, Pacific Ocean on a small boy versus being on a carrier. The money itself, it, it insulates you from the, the rocky seas versus if you're in a small boy and you're trying to sleep, you literally have to put on uh, a safety belt to prevent you from uh, falling out. So in the households, it's a tale of uh, two cities because of the fact that money is an emotional, it's a lightning rod. It's something that if you bring up, I need to take lessons or I need to get ahead or I need this for college, uh, that can be the issue that takes mom or dad over the edge because they're barely hanging on as it is. And when you factor in COVID as a whole, even those who are, let's say, well-to-do have to make adjustments during this time. Now, I hear that, but I've also heard so many times people say, you know, well, it's not my fault or there's no way I could have planned for, obviously, let's let's use COVID. Nobody could have planned for this, yet some are doing okay and others are not. How did we get to the point, you know, and, and for people that don't know, you've I've seen you work with literally the top tier companies in the in the world, all the way down to working with those who have nothing and you're there just providing education as well as interacting to help them help themselves. How do we have so many more in that bottom half of that though than the top? You know, one dramatic event in a family's life, sure, that really might hurt you financially. Uh, sickness, you know, so having to deal with, you know, health complications and buying equipment, things of that nature, they, they do drain. But that's not the case for all these people. And I, I think I have my opinion you know, on, on the school system and how it doesn't play anything with helping with financial, you know, literacy and understanding. But where do you see, you know, the, the biggest disconnect between those who are prepared or at least preparing and those who just aren't? They're just 100% avoiding it, hoping uh, it'll take care of itself. Like, wh where are we disconnected with this? Because it's, it's truly breaking families apart, as you said. The worst time to uh, harvest a crop is when you need to eat tomorrow. So if you plant a seed and you have a fast food mentality, it's going to be tough to, to yell at the ground and say, grow, grow, grow. And that's what happens in a lot of families that, uh, let's say, are in a have not category or a struggling categories that they haven't planned that uh, harvest for the, uh, the future. So this time period is a great, let's say, um, case study or magnifying glass into how our habits lead to our results. So for those who plan for the future, who th those who put money away, for those who think about the rainy day, this is more than a rainy day. This is the torrential downpour that has gone on for months and months and months. So those individuals who have planned, they're able to weather the storm, and have enough time to figure things out. But the, the root cause of it is, is the future a priority? And when you take a look back at the day-to-day, -day, when 
you're struggling, you can only think about the bare necessities. So food, clothing, shelter, trying to get to work. Does my car even run? Is it going to start today? So when you have, when you're in that boat, you can't necessarily think beyond the weekend because your your immediate situation is so based on your, your bare necessities and needs. When you are, you have a bit more stability and comfort, you can think beyond, but it all starts, it all starts in that first nine years where you say, uh, when you're able to think about money and hear money in a way where it's leveraged, it's something that's positive, it's something that is a, a welcome discussion. And, you know, when you have money, it's a lot easier to discuss more of it because it's a blessing to you. When it's a curse to you, you want to avoid it, you push it away. So part of it, not to uh, remove any sort of uh, self-accountability is to plan for the future. Another part of it is what were you exposed to? And when you're exposed to the um, the negative side, you have to acknowledge that it, that exists and overcome that. But it all often ends with how are you planning for the next day? How are you planning down the line? What happens if you're unable to provide for your family and the ability to lead those discussions or find support if you're unable to lead it is the key between those who are able to stay afloat, those who are completely destroyed, you know, their whole raft is, you know, all apart, and those who are on the uh, aircraft carrier smooth sailing. I'm glad I was on the carrier and not one of the tin can sailors. I went on one of those to do some maintenance and those boys, they bounce around, man. It, it was wild. Oh, yes. <laughs> But bringing it back, how or is it possible to break out of that poverty cycle or that poverty mindset of, of finance is bad? You know, we don't talk about it. We just do our thing. We, we spend in the moment. Are you seeing that is a, a product of technology? Because in social media, everybody has, has a highlight reel. I got to buy. I got to keep up. I got to go out to eat. I don't want to be the, the friend who can't go out. I don't want to not have fun. I got to keep my social life up. I want photos and Instagram, you know, on and on and on. That plays into it. I, that I know objectively, I know that's a fact that does play into this. But growing up, you know, t- uh, finances were taboo in my home. You know, it, it wasn't, it was deemed unnecessary for me to know how much my, my grandmother made, how much my father made, or my, I, I had no idea. And then when I joined the Navy, you know, I sort of took this, uh, I call it the eight mile approach where I just say the things that everybody doesn't say. So I started just saying like, I make literally this much money a year and I, it sort of stripped the power from it, but that was a very brash move on my end. And I could understand how that'd be difficult for others. So people listening to this, they're probably not in their head as you're talking like, yeah, like we don't talk about it. And yeah, we don't have a lot of it. How do they, they connect those dots to where they start to look at money without getting the heart rate through the roof. Excellent question. So, the first question in that is, uh, can you overcome the, the poverty mindset? And the answer is the, the first step to overcoming the issue is to acknowledge that it exists. And so let's take my situation, for example. No, I've always been able to uh, earn a, a good living or a decent living. Why? Because I've always been a good saver. I had to learn to be an investor and entrepreneur, and but I've always been able to earn and save. It's always been a trait that I've had. However, 
I learned that once I started to uh, advance into the upper echelons of um, income and start to generate like serious income and revenue for myself and for my companies, I did realize that, wait a minute, why am I still holding on to the same habits that I used to have? Or why is it so difficult to uh, bring on a team or update my prices or to communicate my value to the top companies uh, within my industry. And what I realized was that, again, going back to that that uh, first nine years, I actually sat down with a business-focused therapist. And what she was able to do through her techniques was to uh, go back to that time and more or less uh, through not necessarily hypnosis, but to get you to like focus in on that moment, strip away all distractions and make amends with that time to say, okay, your mom did the best she could with what she had. She did what she understood. Your dad did the best that he could. They're both two uh, young parents trying their best. And our relationship with our mom and our dad and primary caregivers is the most important relationship when it comes to personal finance. So you have to heal that, uh, time in your life where you learn the, let's say, the financial religion that you carry on throughout life. So now you're an adult, you're leading a family, you're leading yourself. And so you, you can't necessarily look at that time and make that the anchor that holds you down. You also have to say, what are my habits? What am I doing today that's going to plant the seeds for tomorrow? And if you're throwing your money away on let's say disposable items and uh, let's say uh, disposables or liabilities that won't help you grow. You have to get that in, in control and in check. And if you're unable to do it on your own, you have to be uh, a leader and reach out to get help and support. Because if, if I was to sit here and tell you that I'm the smartest person that I talk to financially, then, you know, I'd be leading you down the wrong path. I sit down with the smartest people who, after a conversation with them, I realize that, wait a minute, there's a whole different uh, life to learn. So who's your cabinet? Who are the people that you go to for advice? And what are you doing to get an understanding of where you've been? Because where you've been formed the habits today, which plants the seeds that uh, lead to the, the crops that you have. So if you're the farmer, you also have to reach out and get the best uh, equipment and the best advisors to, to help you uh, where you are today. I really like how you phrase that with you have to be a good leader to find others, not just to work with, but to follow. The best leaders know who to find and who to follow. Follow their advice, their game plan, their, their consult. You know, you have to know how to find the right people. And that's something that plays into what I was talking about earlier with stripping the power away from it. You know, when you can say, hey, I want to achieve this or, hey, I'm, I'm stuck here. You know, you take the power away from the finances and you're able to just just put it on the table and now two people can dissect it and you're not alone with your thoughts. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is they're they're embarrassed. So maybe it's somebody, a college student, they're out on their own. They got their first job, but they're they don't want to go home to mom and dad but they're struggling. So that, that amount that I'll open a new credit card before I talk to somebody because I don't want to admit I'm failing. You know, I, I think that's a common one. Um, a lot of times when divorce happens, you know, the men, I, I work a lot with the men or the male side of that. 
And one of the most common things is they don't, they've already lost their family and they don't want to admit to, they're not being man enough of the home to take care of themselves or these things. And I, I try to let them know your, your financial struggles don't define you. That's not a part of your identity. You know, you be the man. And in this case, the individual man or woman who takes ownership of, all right, this is where I'm at. It's just money. And here's where I want to go. And then you just share that with someone and they go through it. Do you see that people have that? You mentioned it earlier, but it's such a strong emotional connection to their debt or to their money at large. It, it's it's sort of a weird concept, is it not? Here's what debt actually is. Um, debt reflects values. Debt reflects priorities. Debt reflects a history and a pattern of decision-making that all is rooted in those first nine years. If you take a look at your debt and you take a look at your spending habits, it tells a story. And if you were to sit in a room and listen to a recording of people throughout your life saying horrible things about you, most people would not last five minutes because it's too much to live through. And so when we look at debt, we often look at the numbers, but we often leave out the emotional story that leads into the debt. What were you running from? What were you running to? What were you using to cope? And when you look into the numbers, that's what debt actually is. It's an emotional attachment to your past, your present, your decisions, your values and priorities. So people, especially family leaders, have a, a, a big difficulty with dealing with that debt because that vulnerability of facing those weaknesses in the face of those who you are charged to lead, those who are your offspring, your partner, that is a discussion that when you face it, especially in the eyes of your family, it brings you down a few notches. So we know that vulnerability exists. So that leader has to reach out to someone that's outside the family that they can trust, that that communication has to exist. And I think a, a valuable point here is that a huge part of leadership is communication. You mentioned the, the, the eight mile approach where for those of you who did not see eight mile, the, uh, the main character, instead of waiting for the attack to come where all the vulnerabilities would be put out to the open, he took the offensive and said, I'm going to put my vulnerabilities on the table so it takes away the power, as Zach said. So if the emotional, the emotionally charged issues around debt exist, how can you like deflate all the air from it? And one solution for that is to reach out to somebody that you trust, that is impartial, where you can say everything you need to say so that you can come back to your family with the game plan to move things forward. So those are two incredible insights that I had never thought of or could have put into those terms. So I'm really glad you dropped both the one where when you look at debt, it's the series of choices, you know, that strips the power of it. The next is where you're talking about, you know, the, the emotional attachment, the bond to it, but also the foundation of where all that came from. You have to heal that relationship. Like you said, where you learned these things, where you built the foundation of self and you have to recognize you know, maybe you were buying those things to to make up for a void in your heart with a relationship. Maybe you were buying, you know, 
all these things for status and appearance that you wanted out of respect for family or something of that nature. Once you heal those two personal issues, though, it's not about the money. It's about you. You're healing yourself, you know, and the money is an extension. So, I mean, that's incredible insights. I'm, I'm taking notes as I'm going with everybody else, but it leads me to this. So now we have Corona and people are wondering, or let's say they're listening to this podcast and now they're wondering, where do I go from here? I have debt. I think I'm going to have my job. Do I put my savings onto the debt? Do I build up my savings while chipping away at it? I know this isn't financial advice you're giving, but when you're working with people, and especially in the situation now where do we have a lockdown in two weeks coming? We don't know. January 20th, are we locking down? Are we opening up? You know, we don't know. Where are you seeing people's mindsets and where do you kind of see yourself leaning when it comes to the fence of, you know, go ahead and be aggressive with it or maybe hold back with where we're at until things play out? COVID-19 strategy for uh, family leaders is, first of all, you have to have a come to Jesus moment with your creditors, your vendors, people who have financed your lifestyle. So communication is the the first uh, part of this. So you need to sit down and, and get the spreadsheet, get the list of all those vendors and make the call to them and say, hey, this is my scenario. Uh, what is your COVID-19 plan or program? Every single vendor that issues credit or some form of payment or financing to households has a COVID-19 strategy, whether it's uh, extended or it's a, a short reprieve, then that's a conversation you need to have, not from the standpoint of trying to get discounts or, or save money everywhere that you can, but to have a clear understanding of what your options are. The, the biggest challenge that happens with a, a lot of family leaders is that they get themselves in a bind and they make decisions based on uh, unclear or improper information. But if you have all the details, then you can know what to prioritize, what to extend, and ultimately what to sever. Next, you need to get serious about where your money is being spent. I, I live by the belief that you vote with your dollars every day. And so whether whatever your political uh, leanings are, you as an American, you as a citizen, has that economic power to vote and empower the businesses that you want to support. So you need to find a service and there's several out there where you can look at where your subscriptions are going each month and find out, okay, does this empower my situation or does it take me away from what my goals are and eliminate ruthlessly that which does not serve and support your personal goals as it relates to the leadership and direction of your family. So next, we need to focus on community. So no man is an island and no family should exist. Uh, no family lives alone on its own street. Every family is part of a uh, community. And so outside of the, the, the geographic boundaries of where you may live, you have to step forward and say the live by the mindset of if you see something, say something. There's a lot of people who, uh, because we're all cooped up inside, would be valued uh, with, let's say, a direct conversation, reaching out, helping out, whether it's your church, your communities, or others. So 
show up in the community. That's that's important. Now, within community, there's a tribe. So every community has its lodge or its, its place where leaders gather to discuss the affairs of that community. Now, you may not have access to that within your immediate community. So you need to form a virtual tribe and reach out to people and keep each other sharp, discuss your challenges, hold each other accountable. If someone's falling short, reach out to them and say, hey, uh, what can I do to help you see what you need to see and get to where you need to get and have regular meetings with uh, that tribe, that council to keep each other continuously moving forward. Now, when it comes to debt, there's you, you have to take the offensive. If you spent, if you have, let's say, five credit cards, the interest rate is through the roof and you're drowning in minimum payments, there's different strategies to use, but I'm always going to suggest that you need to make more money. So what I believe in is the concept of selling your brain, which is essentially what are your knowledge, what is your, your skills, what are your abilities, and package them together uh, through your eBooks, through your courses, through your audiobooks, and uh, hosting them online and creating uh, additional paydays for yourself and using that those knowledge and skills to begin to, to build that um, additional income, those additional paydays to attack the debt and also give yourself some breathing room. And so as, let's say, additional jobs come up, take jobs as you need, work odd jobs as you need to, but be consistent and committed to uh, clearing that picture. And that would be my COVID strategy. So in review, you definitely need to uh, have communication. You also need community and you also need to collect your knowledge, package it into digital assets, create additional paydays for yourself, earn more money and dig yourself out of the hole. Let your tribe support that goal and you'll find yourself in a much better place. Now, how do you see your COVID strategy differing or does it differ when you're met with somebody who says, you know, I, I can't make any more money and I, I don't want to sell and they, I'm just going to save everything and, you know, live a hermit life. I'm not allowed to live if I'm saving money, you know, and I don't want to sell it. Like when these people who come with that, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Does it change the approach or do you just say, Hey, it's a lost cause. I'm going to go find somebody that is willing to do this. Or do you change your, your angle of attack? Because I think there are people who they fall into that category. Well, I don't want to be an influencer. I don't want to sell online. And you know what? I'm just going to lock it down. I'm not going to have a life. I'm just going to sit at home and not spend, you know, Scrooge style eating the leftover beans and, you know, using candles instead of electricity? Well, that's a great question because one of the, the biggest challenges, uh, I've been this way uh, for most of my uh, childhood and adult life. And one of the biggest frustrations that I've had was the idea that I can see where a person needs to go. But if you can't get them to buy in, I would take it personally. I would, what do you mean? Why, why wouldn't you want to be an entrepreneur? And what I realized is that you unsolicited advice is um, you only want people to uh, want to be excited to take that step. But 
you, you look at where a person is and what they value. So if a person values stability, then you look at the best strategy to create that stability. So if for them, the community aspect of the, uh, the, the model that I mentioned is something they buy into, then you allow the community to work on them. And ultimately, the people that you're around the most will lead you in uh, a positive direction or otherwise. So if you're in a community of uh, go-getters who are looking to build according to this model, and you, you, you may start out with your, your, your heels dug into the ground and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not budging, I'm, I'm sticking with this. But over time, someone's going to say something that appeals or connects in a way where the light bulb goes off and they say, okay, I'll try this. And in a community approach, it makes it easy. So when someone is dead set on a certain path, I say, okay, uh, if that's what you value, I can respect that. Because forcing someone to go in a path, it, it has a negative effect. But when the community is all focused on going in the same direction, ultimately that person, if they, they stick around and they value the input from the community, they'll begin to, to see the light at some point. I, I couldn't agree with that more. You know, I, I think you saw that live with me. You know, we've been going at this for years now and you knew me before this was my job and before FOE. So when the fraternity of excellence started, I think that's really when this whole trajectory towards kind of that mindset shift you're talking about. I was like, I'm just a dad. I can't do this. There's nothing you, I don't have Lamborghinis. You know, I'm not traveling the globe every week. You know, that can't be me. And then inside the group, I started seeing it happening, you know, mixing it up with gentlemen such as yourself, some of the other guys in there. And it's, I was like, all right, maybe I can do this. And I was one of the ones that took a while to thaw, you know, it took me a little bit to get there, but I was always open to it. And for anybody listening, you know, that's in that boat, I was there, you know, and don't cut it off. Just just stay open to it. And I think the more you see, the more you start opening up, you'll start to find yourself, you know, instead of saying, or oh, that can't be me, you know, or why me? You think, well, why not me? Why can't I also do that? And I'm, I'm with you now to where I want the whole world working for themselves. And a part of me thinks, you know, there's an, ask, there's an element to our society where there's almost a fear of success. You know, it, there's, there's almost a, there's a hesitancy to go out and be like, hey, I have my own business. You know, it's, it's like people don't want to brag of that nature because maybe it'll offend somebody else. And I, I don't see that any longer. I see a lot of people wanting to support others, but there is that, that element of, well, you and I were poor together and now you're doing this and chasing your dreams and I'm still poor over here. So there's that element. You do find some pushback, but I, I would hope that anybody that's in the cycle, you know, even if you're not looking to start the job, but looking to get out of the debt, you start climbing out of the poverty cycle, you know, you go into that mindset of abundance we're always talking about, you know, that you're not going to let your, your, your former peer group or, or your friends or family hold you back from what your goals are. And I'd go so far to say that eventually, once that thaws a little bit and they kind of get over themselves, the way I was telling you it took me a while to thaw, they're going to reach out. Hey, you know what? How did you do that? I would like to do this too. I see you're happy. I see you're successful. I know I was angry when it first started. But now, you know, I'm a little more comfortable with this, this idea of success. Do you find that or have you ever seen anything like that where people were somewhat embarrassed or ashamed of their success? Oh, well, I, I'll tell you a personal story. It, it is my own story. So 
I think the first thing to, to keep in mind here is that for context purposes, I was raised in a family that has run several businesses. We were not a rich family, but we pulled our resources and we did everything together. So we did not feel the sting of, let's say, being middle class or trying to figure it out like other families who are separate uh, may have done. So within that family of which I've published books, I've done lectures, I've, we've all worked together. If I release a new product in 2021, not everyone in my family is going to rush and make it a bestseller. There are people in my family who still remember me from the, the kid who didn't have a car, the kid who couldn't figure it out, the kid who was ridiculously stubborn and would tell people exactly where they needed to go or get off. And that part of my personality and my past and my history still sticks with them. So when we talk about if I can't get 100% buy-in, then the chances of you getting 100% buy-in, for those of you tuning in, is uh, slim to none. So we have to accept that as the reality. So when it comes to your friends and family and those who know you the longest, here's what you need to understand. Understand this. If you understand this, you understand a lot. What you're competing with is the past version of yourself. So, okay, you're the guy today. You've got it all figured out. You wear the tailored suits. You, you, you're online and you're, you're pitching your services. Life is good. But you have to realize that there was a past. Maybe you were doing a, a multi-level marketing and you, you finally figured that out. Or maybe you didn't have the car and you had to borrow rides to get around town. Maybe you borrowed money from grandma and didn't exactly pay her back. And so there's different examples, there's different parts of your past, of your history, where your family has known you your entire life. So you're competing. Let's say you're 35. And so from 10 years old to about 32, when the light bulb started to go off, maybe you read a book or two, you watched a YouTube video, and now things are, are starting to look better. So from 10 years old to 32, there's a 22-year history of you not figuring it out, you stumbling through the path to get to where you are. Now, wait a minute. So from 32, really 33, because you, you had a few months in there where you were kind of going back and forth in between YouTube videos, and now you got the path. So 33 to about 34 and a half, 35, now you've got it. And you expect for the people who have known you the longest, who share the same bloodline as you, to now all of a sudden think of you as this new person. And when you think about it in those terms, you simply need more time for the new you to take root. And so that's what you're competing with. So if you're going to be the new you, what you need to do is build a new tribe, build a new audience, go outside of your comfort zone and build the tribe and let the social proof from the tribe resonate or have the ripple effect back to those who know you the best. And then they'll say, well, okay, if this group of people, they accept you, they support you, then uh, maybe, maybe you change. But understand that you're dealing with the 22 year version of yourself and who you are is 
you know, maybe a few years into the game. And so now you have to continue to be consistent and show up similar to a marriage. If you, you started out great and then you fell off the wagon, you weren't consistent, you, you had a, a lot of struggle and you expect your wife to look at the new you as, you know, you know, you're, you're now the knight in shining armor. She's going to say, well, there's the history that we've had to deal with and I'm trying to deal with the new you. And so same situation when it comes to your family, your close friends and your business. You just have to get on the road, get on a campaign trail, win over a new audience and keep going in that path. Keep going and being consistent. And if the people come around who have known you the longest, great but you don't want to hang your hat uh, in terms of validation, acceptance and approval on those who are dealing and struggling with the, the ghost of who you were in the past. So I really like your closing points as they tied into exactly what I was going to bring up, which is you mentioned, you know, your aim is to be better than you yesterday, not somebody else today. You're not trying to beat them today. You're trying to be who you were yesterday. And that's huge. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. Now, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. The public education system has failed students with regards to financial literacy. And I'm speaking nationwide public schooling. There are some private uh, institutions that are fantastic. They, they open up accounts. They have, they're teaching business. They're teaching all these things. But in public school, you, you learn a little bit of math. Maybe it's a semester or maybe it's one quarter, whatever they, whatever it is in high school. And that's it. And then you're put out the door and go live your life. They skip credit cards. They skip bank accounts. You know, there are people, very, very intelligent people I know who would rather keep their money inside their savings account or put their money uh, or looking forward to their big tax return instead of taking that cash and putting it into things that could bring a much higher profit. But they just never learned that. When it comes to educating the masses. Do you think there is a solution to be had? Do you think we will ever come around? Maybe this is the reset of that now that we have so many people in financial turmoil, or do you think that it's on families and, you know, individuals such as yourself who are picking up the torch and kind of forcing it into the pipeline? It all starts with the family. There is no sustained wealth in a person's life without family, whether it's the Rockefellers or Mansa Musa on down the path. It's, it's family is the unit, which is why marriage is so important. It, it provides a stable ground in order to build that wealth and stability. The numbers prove it. And so when we talk about the family structure and where that falls apart and as it relates because to the school system, Families send children to schools. And so it is a, a cause and effect. So what I've found is where the family units and where uh, institutions such as the school system start to break down, that entrepreneurs and leaders and change agents uh, backed by uh, philanthropists need to step in and provide uh, rapid solutions and not wait for the, the big uh, agencies or funding or uh, any of these, um, let's say, angels in the sky that may or may not come. We're all we have. And so in, let's say, 
the the solution we we have to realize is that um not only are kids in trouble but adults are in trouble too when we say that um you know according to the numbers um we have um 27 states in our united states of america scored a c d or f for high school financial literacy and 26 U.S. states, including the District of Columbia, do not require a high school personal finance course to be offered. We are setting our kids up for lack, limitation, and just uh, stress. Half of adults uh, have financial anxiety. So what I've found as the solution, uh, uh, let's say on a micro level, is to introduce as early as the uh, second and third grade uh, curriculum where students can learn about, first of all, um, entrepreneurship, meaning being able to take their creative energy and um, funnel it into some sort of creative outlet, whether it's a product or a service. We have to understand with that, that kids nowadays have more business ideas than ever. And they have the tools through tablets and smartphones and other computer uh, equipment to go from idea to proof of concept faster than ever. So kids nowadays, instead of doing arts and crafts, can build an app very easily. And so with that, we use that framework of, okay, you've created this and then teach the lessons of financial literacy if a T-shirt costs one dollar to make and you sell it for ten dollars what is left over what is the profit what other things do you want to spend it on and allow their minds to begin to um to work through this and when you couple this with uh, the ability to break the kids into groups so team a is building a t-shirt company they nominate the captain and they come up with the name they go back and forth with the designs and actually partner with, here's the key, partner with local businesses that allow for a freelance designer to be assigned to those kids, for a website designer to be assigned to those kids. Then what happens is they get to see their ideas become tangible. And when the idea becomes tangible and you actually see team A with their t-shirt or team B with their coffee mug that has, let's say, their mom's name on it that was all set up through uh, the program, then the the entire mindset shifts where they become creators as opposed to, I'm just going to go through school uh, aimlessly and wait for an employer or some institution to uh, save them. So I find I've found through accessing their creativity to create and, and build something tangible, which all kids innately have, we then are able to teach the lessons that we all needed to learn growing up. And that creates children that are more well-rounded, financially savvy as a way of life, not as a course to study or something to learn when they're in a jam. I recorded a podcast with my wife and in it, we spoke about how a job, it was, it was just a job. You know, there are certainly some positions, you know, we were in the military in, I would say, and I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but in that time, the job was bigger than just a paycheck. It, it was, it was a calling, you know, there is, you knew you were serving a, a higher purpose. 
And when you get out, at least my experience was, you know, my, my nine to five was just a nine to five. I, I didn't, I didn't have any, I was an admin. I didn't have an issue with that. It was just, it paid my bills and it gave me the freedom to work on this business. So the family alpha, as well as fraternity of excellence, so much so that I could shift full-time to this, you know, some people it's what they do out of high school becomes that their calling and they, they have to stay and they've got to give that job everything. And they sort of lose that, that creative energy you were talking about. And I think for some, and hopefully those listening to this, that still have that, that spark there, they start to feed it and they start to fan it a little, especially if they have children, you know, with my two, my wife's a realtor and I do this, you know, I podcast, I'm home all the time talking to a mic and leading men like that. They don't know what a normal job is like. You know, I remember seeing my dad go to work at home. He'd come home, you know, I, I mean, at night he would come home. My, my, uh, my stepmom, same thing. They had normal jobs. So it was just normal for me to them to be gone nine to five. I'm fostering that in my kids and you could already see it the way they think they're abundant. You know, everything's kind of open. And well, what if I did this? I love the what if game. You know, it's not just for preparation. Like what if, you know, there's a fire, what would you do where the fire extinguishers, but what if we grabbed this book or what if we wrote three books and we, we create a little library up there? We could do that for free, but we could put a card in it where people could call if they wanted to buy these special books we have. And all of a sudden the free service of giving people free books turns into something you could sell your book that you wrote. So my daughter, she's on this little kick, but they start to think like that. And it's pretty cool to see it connect. And I frequently say that, you know, your children follow your example and not your advice. So if you put that together, that a job is just a job and your children are going to follow your example. We as adults have to stop treating our job like our sole purpose in life. We got to get back to looking at ourselves, building ourselves up. And I think in there, you'll see that, that empowerment to start maybe looking at life a little differently and thus looking at money a little differently. Now, there's a phrase, you got to pay to play. And I learned that and that was sort of a hurdle for me. When I first you know, left, I was like, I don't know what to expect. I'm not, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm just a guy. I was still stuck in that mindset. And then I was like, well, I need a new camera. I need some lighting. I need to buy a shed. And all of a sudden, I'm dropping thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And I'm like, what am I like? What's, what's going on? But all of a sudden, the return was amplified by what I started making. And I was like, Is, that's when I got it. You know, that's when it clicked for me. For others, you know, you talk about uh, the, the successful, you know, entrepreneurial minded individuals, the change makers. Did they ever struggle or were they, or for yourself, did you ever struggle with that? Or is it just a naturally, the things I buy myself are investments. They're not just flash and glam, but I'm going to pay for this and it's going to give me a return. Hmm. You know what the, the interesting part of that question is? It's most people don't struggle with the idea of an investment where most people struggle is the internal game that they're worthy of being invested in. So whatever the cost may be, if the internal dialogue that you tell yourself is that I'm not ready for this, or I'm not worthy of this, or my idea is not ready, then the price will always be too high. And so I think it's the, when it comes to that investment, it's understanding what the, the mission is. And so in some cases, if you have your first child, if you uh, get engaged or you get married, these are often like the fuel that 
brings that clarity and purpose because now you can't play around anymore. You, you have to do something that makes sense because now you're accountable for either your partner or your, your household as a whole. So that is one way that tends to, to bring clarity. The other part of it is through your, your tribe or community where someone else may point something else out about you and say, well, you've been doing this uh, all along. I'll give you a, a crystal clear example. I have a friend of mine who took his uh, grandmother's uh, recipe. Uh, he was a college athlete and uh, he created, used the recipe and it became uh, a product. And that product is uh, sold in over 100 Walmarts and Whole Foods. So he's off in Thailand living the, the, the digital nomad <laughs> lifestyle, teaching people how to do the same thing. And so we're on a call. And so I'm discussing my offer with him. And it was a great offer. And I threw out the number and he stopped. He said, wait a minute. Um, wait, wait, something's wrong here. He's like, what I know of you and what I know you're capable of, this needs to be $65,000 higher. And so I said, I just accepted it. But then he said, wait a minute. And he starts running down the stats. Wait a minute. You were raised in this game. You helped me put together my $50,000 offer. You, you did the same thing I'm doing to you. You've done this. You've done that. You've done it. Five minutes later, it's like, okay, okay. All right. I'm going in this direction. So sometimes community uh, is, very, is the most important thing where we don't see what we're worthy of and other people can point out our greatness and elevate us by simply laying out our stats or laying out, hey, you've helped me with this and you're still stuck here. The other part of that is to just understand that you're worthy of the investment. And if you're not, then uh, you better find someone who you're willing to uh, go out all out for. And sometimes that's the fuel until you build that uh, self-esteem to uh, go after what you really want. Now, to be devil's advocate, isn't there another side to that where the guy is saying, I want to be a podcaster. I bought a $300 microphone. I've got $1,000 in lights and laptop and nobody's listening to me. Does there need to be something before you start making that kind of an investment? You know, you need to have some sort, and I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I would assume you'd want to start free and work your way towards, all right, now it's time to, to pay to play, you know, cause I've, I've proven the messages there or for yourself, you've proven, you know, time and again, you're the guy that can answer, that can solve the problem. So I'm going to put a high price tag. If you hadn't had that resume, nobody's going to pay you 65 grand for anything. They don't know what, what, if anything you will deliver. So at what point do you cross that threshold? You know, that, that Rubicon of, Hey, I've been playing for free this whole time. And this is, again, using myself as an example, I had to, I had to swim that. Everything was free. And all of a sudden, I'm charging to hang out in FOE. All of a sudden, you know, I'm charging for 31 DTM. It's not a free Twitter thing anymore. You know, that, that sucked. There's a lot, of, a lot of pushback on that. But I was like, no, like, this is an investment. And it, it did pay off. But there's, there was proof before I started doing any of that. And some people put that cart before the horse. Great, great, great point. And so, you know what the the, the problem with these uh, young 
whippersnapper Zach. You, you know, <laughs> these youngsters out here is that are we getting old, man. Are we getting old? We got to start saying that. <laughs> <laughs> is that the big problem here is that they lost the value of apprenticeship. Uh, when my parents were kids, they could go. There were literally programs uh, where kids can go and work for local businesses and work with the, the local dry cleaner or the, the, the shoemaker or, you know, any of those. Uh, my mom worked at Mr. Lambert's uh, bike shop. And so that taught a sense of uh, apprenticeship learning under uh, a master. And while it, it carried a, a, a minimum wage, it often taught the lesson of hard work and a craft or skill that they often took with them down the line where they could work in the store or go off and do whatever their, their calling uh, was. So when we talk about, you know, pay to play and investing before, you know, $300 microphone versus no podcast episodes, I always recommend that you find a model and you say, okay, what can I add value to uh, in this situation? So you, you develop your skills or you find a way to say, okay, sir, ma'am, this is, this is how I can help you. And you allow them to uh, give you a shot you, you learn the ropes through that and through those lessons, you evolve into the uh, business owner, the podcaster, the uh, director, the speaker that you need to be. If you bypass the apprenticeship part of it and you just, let's say, pay somebody to create a fancy website or a personal brand, when you're speaking to somebody in the opportunity that will change your life, it will feel hollow because you don't have the experience that's necessary to carry you over the, the path. It's when people work with me, it's not what I know. It's that I've been through so much that I give them the feeling that they can't fail because I've seen it. And so versus someone who you give them a template or you give them a done for you service. And now they're a consultant. Now they're a coach. Now they're a podcaster, but they lack the, the trial and error that's necessary that you can only gain through apprenticeship. And so whether you start your own and you're working on the side or you work full time under someone, you have to be an apprentice. You have to put in your time. You have to put in your hours in order to become world class. I'm not a believer in, uh, let's say, let's I just call them and I'll get the sale and I'll figure it out along the way. No, approach it from the standpoint of mastery. Approach it from the standpoint of build once and it lasts forever. Yes, when you build once, you will make adjustments. But I come from the school of, I'm going to learn this craft. I'm going to learn this skill and Along the way, I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to keep moving forward. And when I'm ready to step forward and, and be my own master, then that time will arrive. I think there's something to be said for longevity. You know, you're building it to last. And, and in that, you know, you look at the lion that's all scarred up and like leading it like that dude's leading his pride. And you see the brand new one that's 
pristine, you know, like out of Lion King. You're like that, that lion, he hasn't had his battle yet. You know, he hasn't had to face Scar. So you don't really know what you've got until you faced and beaten it. You know, they say scars, you're stronger than what you faced. You know, that, that applies to business quite well. And it also leads into, you know, sort of the final topic I really wanted to pick your brain on. And that was moving forward from here. Some people got whacked by COVID. They got this scar. What does the future look like, in your opinion, as a country? And where or what do you think people should be putting their focus on when it comes to the recovery or, or the the future technologies and where people will best do in those industries, as well as, you know, with helping themselves and their family. I'm old enough to have been on airplanes and in airports pre 9-11. I wasn't three years old during this time. And it's important to know that the airports that we used to travel in or the the ability to travel freely and to be able to walk with your your loved ones all the way up to the uh, boarding gate, uh, those times have never recovered. We have never fully recovered from uh, 9-11. In this particular scenario, I don't think the normal that we once knew is going to exist. The world has changed based on the huge financial losses, uh, the disruption in supply chains, and just the, the, the great crater that has been formed uh, in this country. So I don't approach it from the standpoint of uh, getting back to normal. I look at it as we're on a new frontier and you better get your canteen and get ready for the long haul. Get your trail mix and let's go. So when you look at it from that standpoint of what may come next, you have to uh, fortify your castle, your foundation. And so I will focus heavily on making sure that uh, your emergency fund is intact. I will make sure you have your supplies intact. I would be a bit more resourceful, be a bit more connected to uh, nature and think about things from literally a doomsday in an emergency situation and fortify that first. Next, I will focus on my high income skills. You have to be able to create additional paydays for yourself outside of whatever your job may do, outside of what your primary clients will do, even if you are a full-blown entrepreneur, guess what? Your clients, the people who are paying you all have to make their own adjustments in order to be able to pay you. And so they're prioritizing paying you with other food, clothing, and shelter and family needs. So if that client is going to pay you late, which has happened to millions of service providers around the country, you need to be able to bank on your own knowledge, your own skills, your own abilities, and package those details into online digital real estate that you can use to generate for yourself time and time again. And I would also focus on extended family, community, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, and make sure that you are 
extending yourself to, uh, let's say, turn up the humanity is what I like to say, and reach out to people, connect with people, find out what's going on. You never know what people are dealing with. And so as the leader of your tribe, that extends to your community and start to extend yourself and find out who's doing what and how you can be of value and take that approach long term, because this is not a scenario where by, you know, three months from now, life goes back to normal because history has shown that during rules are written uh, in the, the blood of the past. And so in this case, there's a lot has been shed and I don't see that wound healing. It provides its own scar on society and we have to adjust and get stronger as a result. It's important. And I, I kind of want to bring it back to the point you made of being the leader to help others, to be able to reach out to others. You yourself need to be on a solid foundation. And again, you're talking about getting back to nature. You know, I know you're a jujitsu guy. You know, there, you have to have these outlets. You have to have these things that are for you, these things that keep what's going on between the ears calm. That way, when the world's going crazy, you know, we, we'd love to admit that the world can be a dark place. That doesn't mean your home needs to be a dark place. Your home should be filled with light. Your family should be filled with connection, you know, and especially what's going on upstairs in the mind that needs to be clear. And while you might be facing debt, you might be facing a loss of income, you know, or reduced income, you can stay calm because you have a plan. And I, I, I think that is one of the biggest takeaways from this is just to start having a plan. You know, you're not where you want to be, but you know the actions you need to take to get there. And when you have that compass, you know, you're able to take the appropriate actions. Does this bring me closer or further? That's basically the filter it comes down to. So I have a link to mrshadid.com in the description below. If somebody wants to work with you, or they want to reach out and kind of pick your brain further. I mean, honestly, we, we could probably do about six podcast episodes and the things just personally, I want to ask you, but they want to go deeper. They want to see your work or, or some things that you've created and sort of have that discussion. Where's the best way for them to do that? Okay. Well, go to mrshadd.com forward slash assets. And that is A-S-S-E-T-S assets. So mrshadd.com forward slash assets. This will bring you to one of the, the key uh, themes uh, in this discussion, which is the uh, creation of digital assets. So I have the digital assets execution plan. So what this will take you through is a checklist that is interactive. It will take you through the steps of how to package your ideas, understand what your ideas are, begin to package them together and start to form partnerships that will help you extend your intellectual property, your ideas, what you've created, and create a wide amplification, a, a wide network to help you stabilize your family, create additional paydays, and stabilize yourself as the leader, the roots of your family tree. I will include a link to that as well. Also to your Twitter. I'm always retweeting every time you're on a podcast or somebody's got you live. Because the information is needed, brother. And more than needed, you know, just on the surface level, I think people truly, there are some on some rocky foundations and they want to do it right. And when this thing splits, they want to be on the proper side of history uh, on their legacy they're creating and the, not just the legacy they're creating, but also that they can pass on to where the world is going crazy. They've got their minds calm, their family calm, their children calm, and their grandchildren doing well. 
So everything we spoke about today, everything I've seen you doing, the message you've been sharing helps that happen. It's incredible. So I appreciate your time and thank you for coming on. Oh, this was a great discussion, a time capsule, meeting of the minds that we'll be able to look back on at this time and look through some answers and also kind of do a gut check to see uh, what direction we've taken. And hopefully the information in this broadcast, this discussion will help you make powerful decisions, plant seeds for greatness for yourself and your family in the future. I'm going to have to put a mark in my, my calendar now and everybody listening should do the same and check the portfolio today and check it one year from now and see how we did. All right, Shadid, thank you for coming on. For everybody that tuned in, this has been another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can join our private men's only community at thefraternityofexcellence.com. And don't forget to find Zach on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Zach Small underscore.